They say that getting in shape is hard, but no one told you about the struggle. It's time for you to get healthy, but business and family make life complicated. Discover all the high-performance secrets that founders and busy entrepreneurs use to ensure they stay fit and lean, no matter how busy they get. This podcast is a reminder to use those secrets, which make getting in shape easy and stress-free, while doing it in a way that fits your busy lifestyle. And ultimately, this will make you a better performer at work and home. You're listening to The High Performance Founder with your host, Dan Goh. What is up and welcome to the podcast. In this episode, I am talking with my friend. His name is Dominic Cortuccio, and he is a TEDx speaker. He's an author, and he runs the Great Man Within community. And in this podcast, we talk about the number one enemy to living a powerful life. And within this conversation, we talk about the aspects of Dominic's life where he went from living this private life of, or this public life of success to this private life of shame and in doing these things and how it actually affected them. Yeah. One of the things that you'll see inside of this uh, conversation is his journey going from Sex Addicts Anonymous to helping hundreds of men uh, become the best versions of themselves through his community. And this is just a really good conversation between two people who have actually known each other for a very long time. Uh, Dominic is someone that I respect uh, to a very large degree. He's taught me so much about myself. And I want to bring his wisdom and his guidance uh, to you because I feel that all of us, to some degree, uh, we live these public lives, uh, lives of success, but we also deal with these private things in our lives that we don't necessarily want others to see. So how do we consolidate that? How do we make that better? So I hope this conversation uh, is as enjoyable and as beneficial to you as it was to me. And without further ado, I'll see you on the episode. All right, Dominic, thank you for coming on to the podcast. I uh, haven't seen you uh, since January. And uh, and yeah, man, I just want to welcome you uh, personally to the podcast. Thanks for coming on, brother. Dan, it's so good to see you, man. We've known each other for a little while now, and it was great to see you in January as a father for the first time. Yeah. And you, your wife, and your daughter are so beautiful together. Like Your family unit is something I aspire to. Um, and when you came on my podcast, you rocked it. So it's my turn here to come and rock your audience. I'm very much looking forward to that, my man. All right. So uh, I have a question for you. This might seem a little bit weird, but we're going to get to where I feel like we need to go. So, all right. What does Rosie Perez mean to you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. We're, we're coming out guns blazing here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, all right. Um, let's see how your audience takes this one. Uh, I'm 14 years old. I'm living obviously at home and it's a pretty strict household, Catholic school, very sexually repressed home. Wasn't allowed to watch any movies that weren't PG. And uh, my parents left a rated R movie in my house for the first time unattended. And it was called White Men Can't Jump. Legendary oh, yeah. movie with Woody, uh, Wesley, and Rosie. And uh, I popped the movie in the VHS. I'm 43 years old, so we're, we're kind of giving you the time horizon here. And there's this sex scene 
uh, that Rosie and Woody are in, and I have Rosie just does it for me, and I watched the movie, I replayed it, that scene over and over and over again, and that was the first time in my life that I discovered what my body could do, and uh, and as I as I hit that supernova explosion where just like my my lights were going out, and I kind of woke up with blue sweatpants with a puddle in them, I realized. That uh, that I had just been ushered into manhood by Rosie Perez, who has no idea what she means to my life. <laughs> well, she may be listening to this right now. So, Rosie, thank you so much Love you, for <laughs> for your service. And you, that was one of the first instances where you got to know uh, your body, but also it was kind of like this uh, opening into what I would consider to be your development stage uh, in terms of being going from a boy understanding his shadows and becoming a man. Uh, can you take us through that journey for you a little bit? Yeah, man. You know, um, so uh, maybe I'll hit the punchline first and then the, the story will make sense in, in why you're asking it. So um, yeah. when I was about 10 years ago, um, I hit rock bottom uh, in my personal life and entered Sex Addicts Anonymous. Uh, because after 20 years of compulsive private sexual behavior, um, as a very high functioning human being, you know, like at that point in time when I entered Sex Addicts Anonymous, I was amidst a 15 year career in financial services working for Prudential Financial, which is a Fortune 75 company. And um, I was performing very well at work. Uh, I was a leader, very young, responsible for you know eastern half of our country for our sales organization. Um, and I was leading a lot of people, and yet in my private life, the very thing that I used to kind of moderate my emotions, because I'd never, you know, as a guy, we get taught very early age, don't feel anything, emotions are are weak. Um, that the only thing that I had at my my only arrow in my quiver to deal with the anxiety, the tension, the stress, the loneliness, the insecurities, the frustration, the overwhelm. I just need to crank one out or go and sleep with somebody. And that eventually led me to, um, to betraying, you know, the, the, the first, the first woman I'd ever loved in my life. And it was a really dark place. So, you know, just kind of like go back to like how that happens. Like what's the make, you know, what's the making of a sex addict? Well, you know, Rosie Perez, that moment where I discovered through masturbation what my body could do, it was kind of like, oh my God, I'm sitting on a pile of heroin and I can pull on this crank anytime I need, you know, anytime I feel, you know, insecure or lonely or stressed as, as a lot of teenagers do. And that just became kind of uh, my pattern, Dan, of engaging with my sexuality over the course of my life. And it was a really dark and lonely place. Yeah. And that kind of uh, reson resonates with me a little bit because I find that uh, when I was going through even a certain breakup of mine uh, before obviously I met my wife uh, I had actually gone through this realization that uh, I was using sex and also masturbation and I, I don't want to keep this whole conversation here but I do believe that it does lead into uh, the, the greater thing that we want to talk about but I was using both of those things as a way to numb out the emotions I didn't want to feel. Yep. As a way to not feel 
the things that I was uh, scared of actually feeling in the first place. And it was only when, I mean, like I had to go through this era, this period of time where I actually had to abstain from, from masturbation. I had to actually do a no fap yep. uh, challenge, which actually lasted about, I think it was like a couple of years, actually a few years. It's impressive. Yeah. And it, but it was only because once you actually stop doing it, that's when you realize you have to deal with all this shit <laughs> yeah. that was underneath the surface. And, and yeah, when you have to deal with that shit, it's like, how exactly do you deal with it? Like, what exactly do you do? You know? Yeah. It, it's really interesting you say this. So Napoleon Hill is, uh, is a, is a, the, uh, one of my favorite authors of all time. And in Think and Grow Rich, he talks about how most men seldom succeed before the age of 40. And he says the reason why is because up until that point, the majority of men spend an inordinate amount of their life energy dissipating an inordinate amount of our life energy into sexual conquest, hmm. right? whether that's going out and getting laid or porn or whatever, or even like building an entire career around a job you don't love so that you can be successful and more sexually appealing. And, you know, these kinds of like, it just, you see it. And not every guy wakes up after the age of 40, but more guys do and learn to like harness that sexual energy. Um, I Just to your point, Dan, I took four years off of masturbation and porn when I was in recovery for sex ed, mm. sex addiction. So it was a 12-step program, 2013 wow. to 2017. And man, you're talking to a guy who, you know, would masturbate four or five times a day, right? Like that yeah. was, like I, I had to, to go to sleep at night and to go cold turkey. And what was really interesting was during that period when I wasn't masturbating, I wasn't like losing that energy. All these dreams that I had about leaving the corporate world, and like starting a business and doing what I really loved started like thundering through me. And normally I would just take all that energy and that excitement and that fear of doing the thing. And I would just jerk it out into a Kleenex. Mm. But now I had nowhere to go. And so I was like, oh, now I have to actually build something with this. And that is exactly when in my life I left the 15 year, very lucrative sales co corporate career, leadership career to do what I'm doing now, which is, you know, building homes for communities of men who are looking to become the best version of themselves. That's incredible. Uh, so just stop masturbating and then become <laughs> your greatest self. That's, <laughs> that's just what happens. Simple trick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is a simple trick, but, but we can relate masturbation to just like, uh, numbing yourself with drugs, numbing yourself with alcohol. Um, you know, the whole, the, the thing that you mentioned also is like to make yourself go to sleep. Uh, you know, I, I was guilty of that as well. And, and, and when we think about it, when we look back on what we were doing, you know, the whole concept of not even being able to go to sleep is because you have all these thoughts That's right. of these unlived lives yeah. that are just like, they're just like tearing at you. They're yep. just like gnawing at you. And then the more that you use these uh, external stimuluses to, to numb them down, the more that they actually come back out in ways that, that harm you in a certain sense when you, when you deny them. Bingo. Bingo. That, 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 that feeling that you just talked about, like even though I was crushing it at work, there was those nights where every once in a while that panic would, would like, like shoot through my body of like, what the hell are you doing with your life? <laughs> like, have you done anything mm -hmm. of significance? Do you even like what you're, you know, like that would come through and I'm like, I, I can't handle this. So bang, jerk went out and it's like, okay, thank God. I don't have to deal with that right now. Yeah.
Yeah. And I feel like there's uh there's this like concept between even like people who are successful, who have this outward external success. And they there's something tugging at them, which is this lack of fulfillment inside of their lives. And 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 they would go into these substance abuse or they would like just jerk one out or you know look at porn. But but again, there's this like gnawing feeling that just makes people feel like there there should be more to life, but I don't feel like I'm living it. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, what do you feel is your definition of hell? <laughs> nice. Uh, so this is a definition that I've found somewhere on the interwebs. I, I can't find out who actually said this, but the definition of hell is on your last day on earth, the man you became meets the man that you could have become. And I'll say that again because it really hits hard. The last, the definition of hell is on your last day on earth, the man you became meets the man that you could have become. Hmm. And Dan, you had said this just a few minutes ago. We have this, we have the life that we currently live and then we have this unlived life inside of us, right? Of like our true greatness, who we are at our fullest potential how we show up when we're locked into the, to our values and the things that light us up most in life when we're living a life of passion. But when you settle for safety or predictability or comfort or familiarity or what everyone else is doing, that slowly chips away at your life force. And then this is how you end up taking your last breath you know, on your deathbed. And then the real you flashes before you and you're like, holy shit, you just realized you left chips on the table when it's too late. Hmm. That's terrifying. Like I do not want to leave this earth with that feeling. And, you know, so many of, you know, I know you resonate with that and a lot of your listeners surely as well. And so it really begs the question, you know, how do we end up in that stage? And what is this, this thing that kind of infects our system that causes us to end up in a life, you know, where we do live chips, leave chips on the table. Yeah. And whenever, I don't know when it happened in, in my life, I think it was actually when, it was actually when my mom passed away. Uh, at that, before that time, I was just lazy, uh, good for nothing, and, and just really just had no purpose. And then when she passed, what happened was I, I looked at it and she passed pretty early in her life. It was, she was in her 50s, fucking loved her. She was like the North Star in my life. Mm. And, the one thing that came on in my mind was I don't want to look back and be like, what if, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't want to look back and be like, you know, what if I did this? What if I did that? What if I, what if I didn't take care of these current addictions that I have mm. and, and actually turned them into strengths, mm. right? Like I, I didn't want to look back at my life because I feel like regret is one of those things that you kind of just like, you know, before your deathbed, you close your eyes, you're just like, Oh fuck. Like yeah. really? Did I really settle for yeah. this life that I have? So yeah, when I think about it, I'm just like, fuck, you know, like it's about actually going all in, putting your chips on the table. And there comes a great fear with that, especially with people who have a lot already. Sure. So so how does one go through the reality of of possibly not going through hell? Great. Of of doing what they feel they are pulled to, or doing the things that they feel that they're pulled to in this life. First of all, thank you for sharing that story about your mother. And I didn't realize that 
And uh, it's beautiful. Isn't it beautiful how mom continues to teach lessons even after her physical body is gone? And it's it's almost like, you know, everything that you're doing now and all the people that you're helping has been inspired by by her. Um, Mm. So that that that's beautiful. I'm just really feeling that right now. And and you're also, you know, we just lost a beloved member of our great man mastermind community this past week, a 35-year-old man who lost his battle to cancer. And, you know, this week, you know, when, when things have gone not my way, you know, the little stupid things, I just I remember, man, Josh would would pay anything to get back and have a few more of the breaths that I'm breathing right now. And and so it does bring in it like an an urgency, an intentional urgency, not a frenetic one, but an intentional urgency to how we're living our lives. And so you ask this question, like, how do we end up at that end stage, feeling like we're about to live the definition of hell? And even even your listeners who are really dialed into their lives right now, who are you know who are building great businesses, who are making lots of money, even on that level, you, you, like you can still feel something nagging at you about, like, am I really? happy? Am I really dialed into my purpose? Is, am I making a difference? Yeah, am I loving my partner the way that I want? You know, am I really there for my kids? Like, There's all these lingering questions. So, so what is the one enemy that is causing all of that? And I'm going to go back to our boy, Napoleon Hill. right? Hmm. And again, Napoleon Hill's most famous for his book, Think and Grow Rich. That book, I think there've only been 10 books ever that are non like religious texts that have sold over 50 million copies. Think and Grow Rich is, is one of them. And Napoleon Hill had interviewed 25,000 people, average ordinary people over a course of 20 years. And actually it was uh, Andrew Carnegie, who was his mentor, who told him, go on this mission, find out why people don't live a life of greatness. So Napoleon Hill took that really seriously and did 25,000 interviews over a 20-year period and he distilled the lessons he learned into this cautionary tale, this book called Outwitting the Devil. Mm-hmm. And Outwitting the Devil is the number one most important book of my life out of the three or 400 books that I've read, cover to cover. And in this, in this book, he has a conversation with the devil, which is a distillation of these 25,000 dreams lost. What the devil says is, I enter the minds of people through establishing this principle of drift. And when I can turn that principle of drift into habit, I can lead them straight towards the gates of hell. Hmm. And what the devil is saying here is that drift is the state where we think we're consciously in control of our lives, that we're making conscious decisions, when in actuality, it's our habits, our patterns, our unconscious belief systems, our fears, our societal programming, our insecurities. These are the things that are actually in the driver's seat of our car. And we're just in the passenger seat or sometimes even stuck in the trunk. And it's only when an outside force comes in and thrusts itself upon us, do we wake the fuck up and Mm. go, holy shit, what am I doing with my life? That could be losing a loved one. That could be, you know, your business having uh, losing its biggest customer. It could be a global fucking pandemic, right? That causes you to be like, what's important in my life? And those can be beautiful moments of reflection and introspection where you can actually make really meaningful change in your life. Dan, I know you just said about like your mother passing away was a 
a getting hit by the Mack truck moment that caused you to wake mm-hmm. up from drift. And those can be beautiful things, even though you would never wish that upon anybody, right? <laughs> but here's the big question. If the only catalyst for meaningful change in your life is when an outside force comes crashing down upon you, then how in control of your life are you really? Hmm. It's kind of like the person who's waiting for rock bottom to hit and they're just like, okay, like, you know, still got to go, you know, still hasn't hit. And they're almost like waiting to get hit by this truck. And then sometimes for a lot of people, it just never happens because they're just too damn comfortable. Yep. So how does one snap themselves out if they don't have this, this life jarring uh, event that happens in their life to smack them towards the, the other side? Yeah. So first of all, you, know, you have to ask yourself the question, like what, what kind of life do I want to live? Do I want to live the kind of life where life, life A, which is I'm going to protect what I have and I'm going to be comfortable and I'm going to avoid discomfort. And then I'm only going to address things when they're either like, you know, alarming or I get hit by a Mack truck, like, like th- those moments. And then I'm just going to react. That's life A. And, and basically what you're doing is you're, you're living a defensively postured life, you know, like you're just kind of fending off everything like a goalie trying to deflect shots. Or if you want life B, which is I'm consciously creating a life of my own design. I'm going to consciously be the one I'm going to be the disruptor. I'm going to be the inside force who consciously says, I'm going to step towards that edge because it makes me uncomfortable, right? I'm going to go after that goal or I'm going to learn less, less about goals. Cause I think your audience mm. probably has too many goals to begin with. And it's <laughs> probably like, right. Same thing with my guys. It's, it's more about learning about what's under the hood. What's in here. What's the fear that's driving this? Why am I constantly anxious? And when I feel, when I have a moment of free time, I immediately fill it with another goal or something else because that mm. low grade anxiety, where the fuck does that come from? It's about having the courage to look at that shit and say, I'm going to be the one who then steps towards those edges. I'm going to be the one who, who, who figures out what my dream and my passions are. And I'm instead of living a life fueled by anxiety, which is the primary fuel source for most high performers is anxiety. My fuel source is going to then instead be my purpose, my why. Hmm. So I think that's the first thing, Dan, is just even asking the question, what kind of life do you, do you want to live? Yeah, and when I when I think about this, it's uh, it, it splits up into a trifecta for me. It's like, what do I want my health to look like? What do I want my relationships to look like? And what do I want my my wealth to look like? And then everything inside of that trifecta is all in this uh, area of purpose and mission. Yeah, right. Yep. You have to have a purpose and mission for each and every single area of your life that means something. So. When someone looks at this, maybe like, oh, what the fuck? Like, where the fuck do I start? Uh, this is so vast. It's so, it's so big. Uh, I, I don't even know where to begin, right? So, so where would you uh, start off uh, the guys in your mastermind for being able to find what their purpose is? And a lot of people are actually like, you know, one of the fucking most fucked up things is actually when people say you don't need to find your purpose in life, right? Just, just keep on doing exactly what you're doing and you'll figure it out. But I, I think that's kind of bullshit to a very large degree because 
it's, you know, it's one thing about finding your purpose. It's another thing to just totally think that life is fucking meaningless in the first place. Yeah. So, so how does one go about doing something so vast as in finding out what their meaning in, in life is and what their, what their mission is? You know, I think finding purpose is a lot like finding romantic love, right? You, you put yourself in positions and you create that inner state of being where you can magnetize the kind of love you're looking for, where you can magnetize the purpose that, you know, that, that you want to live your life around. But if you, if you're too intent and hell bent on finding love, you know what I mean? Then you're going to strangle. You see, you see people who do this guys, you know, men Mm -hmm. and women who do that and they end up uh, strangling their relationships and the same people who put so much pressure on themselves to find love or to find purpose oftentimes are like, is this it? Is this it? Is this the thing? Is this the thing? And then they, you know, get really excited about something and they put too much pressure on it. And then it ends up being, they, they suck all the fun out of it. Yeah. So it's, it's really kind of like, um, he, he, let, let me share my story, Dan, about how I, I stumbled upon purpose, um, when I had no idea what, what to do. And I think maybe it might illuminate for someone who's listening or where they could begin. Hmm. So I told you that I spent my first 15 years in financial services, working for Prudential. I never loved like the financial services industry. It was great, great people, great, you know, great, great learning experience, but I was never passionate about the work. When I was done with the day, I wasn't reading industry periodicals. I wasn't developing myself in that space. And when I had my first really big successful year, um, you know, tripled my sales goal. I was 30 years old, youngest sales guy in the company and was number one that year. I had all these, you know, like I, I kind of reached the mountaintop earlier than I thought it would. And it didn't feel so great. And I was like, holy shit, if this is as good as it gets, and I'm not going to have a year like this every year. And I got another 35 years of work left. I'm now terrified. I'm shitting. This is where I was having those sleepless nights. Now what? Mm. And, and that question of now what looms so large, right? Trying to find that purpose thing. And fortunately back then, I didn't even know what the word purpose meant. So I didn't put that pressure on myself. I was just like, well, what, what does interest me? That's where Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, came along. That's where David Data's book, The Way of the Superior Man, came along. And I started finding, ooh, this is really interesting. And I started signing up for personal development courses like the Landmark Forum. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up getting an NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming Certification, which is the, the methodology that Tony Robbins bases all his work on. And I got hypnosis certification so I can hypnotize you. Like none of these things, Dan, this was the really interesting part. None of these things were part of a master plan of figuring out my thing. It was only about me following the energy, right? Mm. Following the energy. And it led over a number of years to me like a light bulb going off and clicking. And it's like, oh, I meant to then coach other people through their transitions. I'm, I'm meant to kind of help the people and, and, and the guys who come and do work with me. They're publicly decorated and privately confused about why it doesn't feel better. Hmm. That's exactly who I was, right? And so I learned how to do that for myself. The guys around me all of a, started, start, start, all of a sudden started asking, you know, what, what are you drinking, man? Give me a sip. And that was where the light bulb went off. And now I'm living a life that I fucking love doing the work that I meant to do. Yeah. And I feel, I feel like, uh, 
finding purpose is is really just about tugging on the threads that come along with every single thing that you're doing. And you're just bouncing from one thing to another. You're learning from one thing to another. And you just keep on pulling these threads. And it's not something that actually hits you like a Mack truck. It's actually something that that happens over the course of time through doing work, through actually working, not only on, uh, not only actually not even working on outcomes because being too outcome dependent is, is such a mind fuck, you know, it's so, it's so, it's so fucking, it is just something that messes with the mind when you're so focused on an outcome. But to me, it's also, it's, it's very much about doing the work to learn, but also doing the work to learn about yourself. Yep. Why do I do these behaviors? Why do I try to numb myself with things like masturbation, porn, um, with, uh, you know, in some cases, like people just have like random, uh, sex encounters with, you know, all these casual sure. women, they just have casual sex every single fucking week, but just to numb something out. And to me, it's all about kind of like, what is, it's actually about doing the work inside, yep. which allows you to go into these areas where you may have questions about NLP. Uh, where does this lead to? How come I do this? How come I do that? So this is this is a little bit of a broad topic, but I wanted to ask you, what is your definition of doing the inner work for a guy specifically? Yeah. Uh, so my definition of doing inner work is, first of all, asking yourself, do you want to be the king of your inner domain? And every man who, you know, who, 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 aspires to be the king of his external kingdom, you know, king of his home, king of his business, should automatically say, well, of course, I want to be the king of my internal kingdom. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, you cannot live a compartmentalized, emotionally shut off life. Bottom line. Guys, you've been fed a sack of horse shit about emotions. And the sack of horse shit that you've been fed is that emotions are a liability right? Don't get too high. Don't get too low. We praise guys who don't feel shit at all, right? Now there's a difference between being cool and calm under pressure, right? We, we love the guy who can hit three, you know, we, we love Steph Curry for his ability to mm. hit that three point shot under pressure. We love the fact that he hits like 93% of his free throw shots when it counts. You better believe that guy feels stuff, right? He feels it and is locked in anyway, right? And so what ends up happening for guys, this is why we drift, okay? When you don't know what's going on in your world, in your inner world, because you can't feel it and you're numbing stuff out, then you're just kind of going through the motions of life doing things and you're accumulating success. But when you can't feel it because maybe victory is fleeting now, losses, you know, like, like you hate losing more than you love winning, which I, I mm-hmm. always thought is, is ridiculous. Like I'm very middle of the road when it comes to a lot of things, but I think it's absolutely ridiculous that we praise the per, the, the people who say, I hate losing more than I love winning. And that's what motivates me because then your life is motivated by hate. Mm. Think about that. Like your life is motivated by hate and fear versus love and purpose. And the only way you get your arms around this is if you become the king of your internal domain, which means why did I armor up to begin with? What were those events in my life where I experienced so much pain? Maybe someone cheated on me. Maybe someone laughed at me at class. Maybe someone got the promotion before I did. And I made this decision that I was never going to feel that way again. So I just shut it down. And then you go through life like a fucking zombie, Hmm. right? So my definition is really 
The man who is courageous enough to take full ownership of all the realms of his inner kingdom, to inspect them, to face the shadow, and then to get to know and love himself in a whole new way because he's far more interesting and capable and powerful than he's ever given himself credit for. And I think a lot of times that people think kings, they only think about the material shit. Right. Right. And they're like, oh, here you go. Yes, king, you're a king. And, but but the reality is, is that the king actually understands his domain, but also knows his shadow yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, it's um, I, I you know, we're, we are kind of alluding to the this this ideas from the book, the King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. Great book. Uh, great book, love it. And when a when a king does not understand his shadow, he becomes a fucking tyrant. Got it. Yeah, and and if you're a tyrant in your life, it could be it could actually mean a lot of things. It could be being an asshole to other people, not caring, being just like completely shut off from other people and not having empathy for them. Or it could actually mean being shut off from yourself. Yeah. Not understanding why you do what you do. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with the podcast. It's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Dan and the rest of the team put together the high performance seven. It's a free online course that helps entrepreneurs get lean, build muscle, and increase energy in a way that fits their lifestyle. We go over things like how to burn fat like a 20-year-old, the lazy man's way to building muscle, the 10-minute Superman system, the lead domino that makes all other things easy, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the High Performance 7 100% free of charge. That's right for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get full access, all you have to do is go to www.highperformance7.com. It's high performance, all spelled out, and the number 7.com. And fill out the short form there for us to give you full access. Once again, www.highperformance7.com. Now, back to the show. And you alluded to this before. It's like people actually have these public and private sides, right? This this public side that they show off to their friends and to social media and to everyone that follows them. And then they have this private side that they're not showing anybody. And that private side eats up the person. Yeah. And and we we talk about kind of like um, you know, this this idea of uh understanding our emotions. And the more that we don't understand them, the more that we don't, when we refuse to understand them, they come back out and they actually come back out in in the worst ways possible. Right. Okay. You're hitting on a big concept here about, you know, the public and private. And I'll add a third category to Mm -hmm. that. There's a public life, a private life, and then there's the secret life. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is the public life is what, you know, your persona that is crafted that you put out in, in the world to, you know, get your needs met for people to um, hire you. You maybe you're a, you know you're, you're a certain way in, in, in the public world, but the private life, there's a little bit discernment there about the parts of you that you allow you know people to see. Right, you naturally have 
people who are close to you, who you trust with other with with deeper layers of you that the rest of the world just wouldn't understand or you know you wouldn't feel safe sharing. So the private mm-hmm. life actually the way that I define it, there's a level of discernment, right, around what who and who gets to see these parts of me. Where it gets where it can get really dark is that secret life. And that secret life is where you bury the stuff where your shame where there's shame, right? Mm. So this is, you know, to, to use my own personal example, you know, my sexuality, right? When I discovered my sexuality, um, I, I was like, oh, I'm a bad kid that could get punished for this. Uh, I'm a sinful kid because, you know, I said I, I grew up Catholic and I'm going to go to hell for this. But oh my God, this feels so good. Like, <laughs> and I feel so alive and I, you know, I'm, I'm grabbing every Victoria's Secret catalog I can and every Playboy magazine <laughs> and I'm watching every Spice channel where like, you know, the, it's, it's like, you know, like all the fuzzes and one boob comes in and you're like, I'm going <laughs> to and, and it felt so great. But at the same time, I'm like, oh my God, I'm a freak. Like that, mm. that was, and I think we all have that category of if anyone knew how much I ate or if anyone knew what I gambled or if anyone knew that, you know, like whatever those behaviors are that aren't socially acceptable in the communities that you run in or the family that you were raised in, then that part of you gets othered. And then what I found that the the very reason why I ended up in Sex Addicts Anonymous was because I ended up getting caught cheating on my partner who I loved. And here's the the funky thing about that, Dan. The closer she got to me, the more I loved her, the more terrified I was that she was going to discover this secret life and that I was really unlovable, right? That she would reject this and then and then leave me. So I ended up sabotaging that before that could happen. And mm-hmm. she ended up... Ca- so my path, and you said this before, my path was really confronting my shadow. These parts of me that I'd walled off and Carl Jung, right? The Like one of the modern godfathers, one of the godfathers of modern psychology, he says, there's no way that you can be complete and whole without integrating your shadow and no king can be fully integrated without knowing his dark shadow realm. So how does one get to know their dark shadow realm, especially when they have done such a good job hiding it from everyone else? Yeah. So I got I got some, some uh, jagged little pill for the guys here to swallow <laughs> is you can't do it on your own. Mm. You can't do it on your own. And you know, in our, in our community um, of the great man within, we, we always talk about uh, stop lone wolfing your life. Right? Like your personal development is slow and shallow and incomplete when it's on your own. The bottom line is you do not have the tools. You don't to, to inspect your shadow because it, it got there for a reason. It was secret for a reason. The programming's there. Like it all happened for a reason. So you need a mentor or mm-hmm. a group of people like other brothers who are working on this stuff who have gone before you, looked at themselves and can show you the way. And we, we see this in all of our hero stories, right? With like, you know, in the Matrix, you have Neo and then Morpheus comes in and helps him transcend whatever limit he's got. And you got, you know, Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan and Yoda help him transcend like his, to find his, you know, the force and the power. So you need a, you need a men's coach. You need therapy. You need to be a part of a, a group, like a mastermind or a men's work, a men's work group. Um, in order to to look at this stuff, and that's that's really scary for a lot of guys. And what most guys will do, Dan, is they'll listen to a ton of podcasts like these. They'll read a lot of books. 
they'll get some benefit from it and they'll continue to lone wolf and they'll let years go by and not much has really changed. Maybe some incremental stuff. Um, yeah. And then until, until they'll have their moment of, you know, getting caught with sex addiction or whatever their version of that is, they'll hit them. They'll wait for the Mack truck to hit them and then they'll come and call me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know, the reason why is because they are just fearful of all that stuff. Of course. Because it scary. has been programmed into us, right? Like uh, the friends that most guys have, uh, they have guys that are just like, hey, why are you being like a little bitch? You know, totally. like, hey, why, why are you like, uh, you know, get, you know, why are you doing this and why are you doing that? Oh my God, like, you know, what a wimp and all this kind of stuff. And it's the stuff that we, we place on other guys to actually stop them from actually understanding themselves. And, and we talked about this before. It's like, talk about like men and emotions. I feel like guys are as emotional, if not more emotional than women. We just have a capacity to hide it That's right. from other people. Yes. We have more of a capacity because of the way that we've been programmed as men. Um, and then these uh, types of emotions, they come out in very destructive ways when we're not able to come to terms with them or we're not able to understand them in the first place. Yeah. I mean, if all the reputable studies about you know childhood development show that boys are at minimum equally emotive, if not more emotive than girls. And then something changes over the course of time. And the thing that changes is the social programming. You know, mm -hmm. like every boy has encountered the boys don't cry or don't be a pussy or, you know, like one of those things. And, and it's just like society will make sure, will make sure that you shut down your emotions until, unless you have let's say parents who are like, you know, very, uh, who create that environment, who do a lot of education, or there's those communities that are very rare where that stuff is, is trained. So a big part of the work that we do is we have to unfuck guys, you know, around this mm -hmm. stuff. And, 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 and how does that happen when you unfuck guys? So what's the process to that? Like, you know what the first part is oftentimes, Dan, it's, it's when guys come into community, like, like mine, they're not ready to share first. If, if they've never done any work before, if they've never done any of this like revealing or inner work before, what they need to do first is just to witness other guys go first. Because most men have never been in a space where they're not competing with other guys or you know, worried about if I say this, is someone going to cut me down? And is the group going to come, you know, mm -hmm. like in and, and and it's really interesting because, you know, I, I was in I was on a lot of sports teams growing up, loved sports. I was in fraternity in college, very rough fraternity. Um, I was in a sales environment in the financial services space, all alpha, all alpha, mm -hmm. like in environments and containers. And then when I went to Sex Addicts Anonymous, I'm now surrounded by a group of 35 guys who are all there not competing with me. They're not trying to make fun of me. They're actually there to listen and learn about like, how did I go wrong? What were my worst moments? What were my insecurities? Dan, it scrambled my fucking brain. It took me three months because I'm, I'm walking in with my algorithm of who's the alpha dog, who's going to control here, mm -hmm. where's the threat, who's the guy that I'm superior to, you know, doing that whole hierarchy thing, just like I do in every other, it was, it was unconscious until my sponsor, who's like my mentor, you know, basically bitch slapped me. It was just like, wake the fuck up, dude. These guys are here to support you and you're competing with them. You're holding them separate. And once I finally had a chance to, to kind of settle into that, and I'm listening to these guys pouring their hearts out, 
about you know the childhood abuse or their you know strict religious upbringings or being cheated on or having an overbearing mother or, or you know an abusive father listening to these stories i'm like oh my god that's me that's me that's me that's me that's <laughs> me and then eventually i found the courage to step up and share my story that's that's typically the the, the formula and you know for anyone who's listening it's just the longer you wait to get into a space like that, you know, the more you're putting off. Uh, the you know, like the more that you're, you're you're closing in on that definition of hell. And as as we you know as we mm-hmm. learned with your mother, you never know like how many breaths you have. Like my friend Josh, who passed away two days ago, we don't know how much time we have. So what the fuck are we waiting for? What the fuck are we waiting for? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's that's kind of like the the question du jour. Um, so. One thing uh, I, I don't, I actually kind of want to veer this off into a little bit of a direction uh, because uh, I've been talking to cu- maybe a couple of your friends, maybe uh, just, maybe just one of them. Behind my right back, now. huh? <laughs> yeah, Who are you talking right to? behind your back. Who are you talking uh, <laughs> I can't tell you. I can't tell All you. Right. It's, it's private, but we'll see. I, I, I wanted to ask you um, a personal question, which is what are the, uh, Biggest lessons that you've learned from your sister? Uh, oh my God, man. Yeah, you're tugging at my heartstrings. <laughs> so so I have one sibling. She's my sister, Mary. She's a year and a half older than me and, uh, and she's special needs. Yeah. And my sister and I could not be more different in so many ways. You know, like uh, she, I'm super competitive. I move at a million miles a minute and she's loving of everybody and, um, you know, couldn't care less about competition and, you know, very deliberate growing up. Um, I didn't understand my sister. I was embarrassed by her differences. You know, she would, uh, we went to the same public school together for a few years and, you know, she would walk down the hallway wearing, you know, looking disheveled and, uh, talking to herself and people would make fun of her for being different. No one ever wanted to hang out with her or sit with her at the table. And I could see, the toll that took on her when she came, you know, home. But like, you know, an insecure teenager, I did a little bit of loving on her, but I, I also like kept my distance and I felt hmm. really there was a lot of guilt and shame about that in my older years. Um, and it was really cool, Dan, that maybe about six years ago I did this ayahuasca ceremony where my intention was about exploring my capacity to love and to be loved. Cause this was around the time that like actually my emotions, like I was, I was, you know, learning about my inner kingdom and I really wanted to fall in love again. And, um, and I knew I didn't have full access to my heart. So I went into the ceremony thinking I was going to get answers on romantic love. But what ended up happening was my sister appeared and then it went like I was my sister and mm-hmm. I could feel her heart and the swell of love came up inside of me because one thing I didn't share is my sister is like a walking heartbeat. She works with babies for 20 years. She's worked at daycare centers, working with infants from six weeks to 12 months. And she is the baby whisperer. Like you could take any crying pukey baby, put her in my sister's arms in three minutes. That child is asleep. She just vibrates love. And so I got to experience what is inside of her that creates that. And I could, it just, it cracked me open. I had a chance to look at our entire relationship and the fact that she never 
harbored any resentment about the fact that I just didn't take an interest in her for many years. All she cared about is how I treat her now. And I got a chance to watch us grow old together and my parents pass away and just Mary and I's love growing deeper. So what I ended up learning from her, man, and this was a podcast we did on her was, mm-hmm. you know, put what you love on fucking blast. My sister is ridiculous in what she wears. Like she loves colors, pink, you know, and everything. So she'll buy these like sequenced pink Uggs. We went to go see Shania Twain concert in Vegas in December last year because Shania Twain's her favorite. She bought this gaudy pink cowboy hat that like has sequins and it lights up, wore it on the airplane, wore it everywhere in Vegas and she became a, and everyone loves her for that. And what ends up happening is because people know that she loves these crazy outfits, she loves puzzles, she loves babies. People send her gifts all the time, crazy clothes. They send her puzzles for free. They send her outfits. Um, and Shania Twain stuff. So I learned from her, you know, to just follow my passion, to put what I love on blast. And um, and that honestly, like the, the best years of my life have been when I've had access to my heart. I feel like she doesn't have a secret life. So true. So true, man. Yeah. No secret life. And, she, and here's the other thing, Dan, one, one more thing on this. My sister has every reason to harbor resentment around all the people who treated her like fucking shit, who ignored her, who doubted her, who said that she could never hold a job, who said that she'd never be able to live, you know, on her own, which she does now for the last, you know, 15 years. Um, And even including me, who didn't take much of an interest. And she carries no baggage, none. Mm. She's the most present person I know. And every time I'm wallowing in my shit, I, I, I channel her and I'm just like, okay, like find what's in front of me right here, right now to love and um, and to drop the things that are just like bugging me because she does it and she's quite literally, this is not hyperbole, she's the happiest person that I know. Fuck. We can all learn from her. <laughs> I get so bogged down with uh, all this random inconsequential shit that is not going to matter. And then you run into someone like your sister. And it's almost like she has the secret to life. She does. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We call her special she, needs, but we're the ones who, you know, yes. like she's got it figured out. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. She's the one who's got it figured yeah. out. And I'm, I'm running around here trying to thread the needle of like, everything needs to be perfect for me to be happy. And she's just, she just wakes up every day with a big smile on her face and does her life. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so we, we talked about this when we saw each other in, uh, in Punta de Mita uh, a little bit. And uh, have you, f- are, are you with someone right now? Not right now, man. Uh, okay. I want to find my queen, but for sure. You, you will. I know you will. Um, and I wanted to ask, how has your concept of uh, being in a relationship when you were a sex addict uh, differ from the place that you are in at this very moment. <laughs> oh my God. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of like an analogy of like the two polar opposite <laughs> things um, that can help you understand it. Just like the night and day nature. Um, when I was in my sex addicted stage, um, everything was, what was really interesting was I, I would, I would, I would repeat this pattern of I, I needed female attention. I would go and find it. 
I'd ride in like the white knight and I'd be like this perfect guy and I would fall like, you know, fall for this person who was like so exciting and new and novel and different. And then over time, like the person's imperfections would come out. I would get bored with it. I would whatever. And then, um, and then I'd leave and then I'd go on and repeat the cycle again because I didn't know what intimacy was like because I wasn't even the king of my own inner domain. I wasn't like, I rejected my own imperfections because I wasn't looking at them. And therefore, anytime I saw a woman's imperfections, it was too much of a mirror. Like, and I didn't know this was what was happening, but I had no capacity for her imperfections because I had no capacity for mine. So I would just go along looking for the perfect woman, finding all the flaws, and then I'd leave. And growing up, I didn't have a lot of really, I didn't have a lot of examples of marriages that were loving that were mm. like, you know, were intimate and communicative. And, and so to me, marriage always looked like, like, why the hell would I want that? It feels like, you know, mm. clips your wings, freedom and you know, whatever. And so since then, now for me, I believe the ultimate form of freedom is going to come through love and commitment with a partner. Um, whereas the best sex I used to have was the first time I had sex with a person now the sex that I've had, you know, in, in previous relationships, the best sex is always the next time. <laughs> and then the time after that. And then the time after that, because you to, yeah, you're smiling because you know, because you have yeah. that with Linda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just gets better. Yeah. So that, that's like, I, I, man, and, and, and I, and I understand, like, I'm not romanticizing the fact that, you know, that there's not going to be those moments where you roll over in bed and you look at that person and you're like, I don't know how I'm ever going to fuck you again. <laughs> you know, like you have those moments where it's just like, you, you, you like you have those ebbs and flows of relationship. You have those high, yeah. you know, and I understand that that's going to come. And I want that because I also know those moments of, I can't see how we're ever going to have sex again. When you move through that, then you hit another layer of depth. Yeah. I want that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like when you, when you reach those specific types of moments that lets you know, that you got to make yourself uncomfortable again. And that means that there's like this next level to step up to, right? This next level of connection, this next level of, uh, of the way in which you go about doing things and all this like feelings of comfort. It is just a signal that you need to step your shit up. Uh, And I wish more guys actually knew that. I wish more guys uh, took to those signals in the first place. Uh, because a lot of times they look at it and they're like, oh, I'm just, I remember actually I was on Twitter and I'm, I'm going to get you on there one of these days, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll get you into the fire. You're crushing it there. And, um, <laughs> and uh, this, this girl actually, you know, uh, posted, uh, I can't believe that people think that uh, when you get in marriages, like the sex actually starts to suck. <laughs> and, uh, and I actually said, to her, I commented, I was like, um, yeah, fucking, I agree. Uh, actually sex gets better when you're in marriage. And, and quite frankly, it is a belief system as well. That's yeah. one of the things it's programming. And then this guy underneath, he's like, well, tell me that after like 20 years. And, <laughs> and you know what? It's like, this is like the same type of dude that says, uh, that you can't be in shape after 40 because your body just like starts to dwindle yep. and starts to deteriorate. Yep. It's the same guy that says that you have to fucking work a nine to five because that's the only way to do things. Yep. And, and and the thing is, I realize is that people have these belief 
patterns based on their examples that they've seen in life. And there's not a lot of really good examples right. of people who are you know, crushing business in amazing relationships, who are fit, who are just like fucking crushing life at all angles. I don't know where I'm going with that. That was just a, it's just a little bit of a rant right there. I just, I just can't believe that people, w- it's not that I can't believe it. I can be based on their programming. Um, but you know, how exactly do we get people to realize that they can fucking have it all? Yeah. I mean, Dan, it's, it's like one of the things that was coming up for me as you were sharing that is be really intentional about whose advice you're listening to. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if like you wouldn't take fitness advice from someone who's clearly out of shape and you know who's who's eating fast food and you're like why would you listen to that person about what happens to your body after the age of 40 right mm. and why would you listen to the person like who's that guy who's been married for 20 years who's angry and upset and thinks that sex <laughs> why would you listen to now like it's almost it's almost like anything you want to envision pretty much anything you want to envision in life, there's someone out there who's doing it already. Yes. And so it's yes. like, I'm going to go find that person. You know, like, I don't care how hard I have to search for it, but if that's what I want, then I'm going to go learn from those people. So now, I, you know, it's, and, it's, and it's no mistake, man, I'm surrounded by guys who are in loving, committed relationships that fuel their business, truly, and their successful mm-hmm. business. And it's not a... Uh, if I give to my relationship, it's going to subtract from my business. No, the whole life is built around this integrated, when my relationship's going well, like I'm lined up in my business and the guys who have done that and I'm surrounded by them, it's kind of like, why would you do it any other way? You know, hmm. but if you're listening hmm. to the other dude who's, you know, his, his, his personal life and marriage are burning down around him and he's got a thriving business. I mean, you want to learn from that guy, go ahead. Just don't expect to have a great relationship. Yeah. I remember we were um, having this conversation uh, and this guy, you know, it's actually a mutual friend, but we won't, you know, we won't, <laughs> won't blow him, him up okay. <laughs> here. We won't blow him up. Um, but he was just like, hey guys, I, I really want to have a family. I really want to ha- be in a great relationship. But I just can't, I can't find myself trusting women. Um, I can't find myself, you know, what happens after they get married and like all this kind of stuff. And then I remember having a conversation with them, you know, afterwards. And I just asked them one thing. I was like, how many successful relationships and people who are married or have kids and who are just crushing business, how many of these people are you around? Mm-hmm. How many of these people are your friends? And he had to think to himself, he's like, uh, I don't, I can't right. think of any, right. right? And and it is like the people that we hang around, uh, unfortunately, we'll use the cliche, but fortunately, is it is the average of the five people you're hanging around. And to be in groups like yours, uh, to be in groups like the ones that we're in, we get to see this yeah. on a regular basis. Yep. We get to see these examples. So how does one uh, get around people like this? Like, what would you, what would you suggest to someone to, to have this level of influence to, to get around people that are just crushing it in every single area of life? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it just, it starts to require again, intentional an intentional, um, who are you going to be hanging out with? So we talked earlier about drift. Drift is the number one enemy mm-hmm. to living a powerful life. The antidote to drift is intentionality. So if you are intentionally, like, let me give you an example of me again, because I've always liked to speak from the first person. So I am 
cultivating my inner being so that I can attract like the woman of my dreams, right? And I want to have mm. a family. I want to be, you know, a father. And and so what do I do when, when, when you and I are in Punta Mita together at the Frontier Club Global Gathering and there's, you know, 100 guys who are there, I'm hanging out with you, you know, and, and your family, like not only because you're a badass, but because like I want to be around, like I want to be around your wife and your daughter. I want to feel what that feels like. Um, where, where you, you know, you're someone who, who really has his life in balance and you get to see all the brothers, you get to do the thing, like you're not shortchanging anything. And you also get like a lot of the quality time with your wife and kid. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Dustin, who's another brother in our, in our community, like he's got four kids and a you know, beautiful wife and a thriving business. I spent a lot of time hanging out with him because I want to know how, how do you have four kids under the age of like six or seven? have a thriving business, still hang out with people. He's in great physical shape because he used to be a fitness instructor. And now he's like, you know, in real estate. So I'm just, I'm standing around and like in osmosis, just trying to like pick things up. So, you know, if, if guys are listening to this, start to get clear, intentional on what are the things you want to cultivate in your life? If you want to cultivate balance, if you want to cultivate freedom, if you want to cultivate like, you know, a great, healthy, loving relationship, then when you're in the next social gathering, feel into the people who have that and then just don't let them go, you know, like just, mm-hmm. just, just like grab onto them like a dog on a bone, hang around them, go where they go, you know, like, and offer some value back to them too, you know, and, um, <laughs> yeah. but, but like, but then soon enough, like you'll then find yourself kind of swimming in those environments and it'll rub off. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I feel like people just lack these uh, examples inside of their own lives. Right. And the more examples that you have, uh, the better it's going to be, because at least you have it's kind of like this. It's like you won't know how to make a million dollars until you've seen someone that you've seen that, you know, make a million dollars. You know, you you won't know what a great relationship is like until you actually see it with your own eyes from one of your friends. And one thing I might add to that is have the courage to also call your herd as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, because like I've lost a lot of really close friends uh, from back in my day because I have gone on this journey to be the best version of myself. And I realized that some of them just had this, let's just say a less than ideal uh, influence on my life, sure. whether it came to doing drugs, whether it came to relationships. Uh, so so what does it mean to to... I guess you could say call the herd and to, to make sure you make the, the hard decisions in your life to, to open up for these people that you're allowing in. Yeah. So I like to say that there are three types of people in your life and there's really only one type of person that calls you forward to your highest self. And I wrote about this concept in my book on purpose leadership. And so the, the there's a first type of person that relates to the historical version of you. Right, like mm. who you once were. Maybe they, you know, they call you by the nickname you had 15 years ago, and they're they're still kind of stuck in that place. And and I want to have compassion for for people like this because you know, like they're they're struggling and maybe don't like know exactly how to break out of it. But there's they feel threatened, right, by your growth because maybe it's in they feel it's kind of like an indictment of their life or they're afraid of losing mm. you. So they try and kind of pull you back, and you can feel the drag as you're trying to you know, to rise. So there's that category of people. The second category of people, and this is who you're most surrounded by, are the people who relate to the here and now version of you. 
So they kind of see like, okay, this is the Dan Go of, you know, like here's the size of his podcast. Here's his family. Here's how much money he's making. Here's like Twitter followers. Here's what his current capabilities are. And maybe like they can kind of see an incremental improvement around you, you know, but, but, but they're not going to like allow you to get too big too fast because I don't know, maybe there's their own limiting beliefs or again, maybe they're threatened by, or they maybe just can't see, maybe they don't vision that way. This last category are the people who relate to the highest version of you, right? These are the people who see the greatness in you that maybe you can't even see yourself. And I usually tell the story in conjunction with my sister, Mary, because one of the things that, you know, she was always doubted in her life, but in eighth grade, she had a teacher that was the hardest ass teacher in school. Her name was Mrs. Unrath, who was feared by everybody, you know, loved to throw pop quizzes. But Mrs. Unrath was the one who could see beyond my sister's learning disability and said, actually, Mary's quite smart. She just needs more time. So she created a structure. Anyway, long story short, that woman, that teacher changed the trajectory of my sister's entire life by seeing the highest version of her. And so I always wanted to surround myself with people who don't just see what I've built today, but can see something bigger. And they're like, no, Dom, man, like you've got this, you're worth that. Um, I'm going to speak praise into you. And you know, you, you were a great, ver- like you, you actually had a great example of this before we even started recording. You're like, you know, Dom, we need to get you on Instagram reels because you're a great speaker and your voice is built for this. And how come you're not doing reels? I mean, it'd be amazing. And I'm like, oh yeah, cool. And I'm going to go do that. Right. And so it's just, and that was a, a micro interaction. Can you imagine when I'm surrounded by people all day long who only speak to that, how many of those moments I have per day, that's how you start to grow and rise rapidly. Fuck. Yeah. I love that. Okay, man. Uh, I've been enjoying this conversation between the both of us and uh, it's been amazing. Uh, Now, this is my final question for you for today. And I do hope that there is a a part two uh, to our conversation and uh, this particular podcast. So I want to ask you, it's, uh, this is going to seem a little bit dark, but you'll see where I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you enter a room and it is a, what do they call it? Like a funeral house or whatever they call those things. Like a wake or a funeral service? Yeah, like a wake. Uh, Yes, you're at a wake and you're walking up and you go to the coffin and you see yourself lying in the coffin. Yep. And your best friend goes up and... uh, is doing a eulogy about you. What would you want that friend to say about you when it's all said and done? Yeah, it's a beautiful question. And I, it's not dark at all, man. Like we, we yeah. all are going to die someday and to be really aware of our own mortality is like, is one of the greatest gifts we can give ourselves to live with intentional urgency, yeah. right? And your mother gave you that yeah. gift. And Josh, who passed away the other day, reminded me of that gift. So, and I'm living my life in such an intentional way that like, I'm pretty sure I'll know exactly what's going to be said about me in my eulogy, you know, and what I'd, (laughs) what I'd love my best friend to say about me is this is a man who lived his life with such integrity and authenticity around what mattered most to him, 
that when he showed up, everyone else felt more alive, loved themselves more, were better off for having known Dominic, and that he inspired other people to live their best lives. And ultimately, you know, like the work that I'm doing here, I have this grand vision of you know, helping 10 million men get on the path of doing inner work and waking their lives up and becoming better leaders, fathers, partners, friends. Like by the end of my life, I want people to say, you know, he, he really represented, he and the community that grew to support these men really created a turning point in masculinity. And, mm. uh, and so that, that is my mission. That's the eulogy I expect to be read um, when I pass here. That's amazing. And I really feel like the work that you're doing is uh, bringing in a, an evolution or a renaissance, so to speak, of men and, uh, and how they relate to themselves and how they relate to the world. So if uh, people want to get a hold of you, if they want to uh, join, even join your mastermind, where would you, where should people go right now? Where should we send Great. them? So I got a few things here, you know, for the mastermind, um, my website is dominicq.com and I'll send that to you, Dan, just so you could hyperlink it because, and on, on, yeah. on the page, you'll see mas- a link for the mastermind. It's got all the details. Um, that work is 12 months long. It's committed intensive work because this work matters and you have 48 meetings that we do over the course of that year. So it's deep, intensive work wow. and a commitment. Um, so that's dominicu.com for the mastermind. The podcast, you know, we've got over 300 episodes called The Great Man Within Podcast. We talk about masculinity, purpose, high performance habits. You'll find Dan's episode on there if you can't get enough of Dan. <laughs> and then the, the final thing is my Instagram account um, where I post pretty much daily, you know, my thoughts on masculinity, what healthy masculinity looks like, what women want, which it's interesting, man. 62% of my followers are women, even though I write all the content for men because women are like, oh my God, I want guys like this. Where do I find guys like this? And I'm like, come hang out on my retreats, yeah. man. You know, uh, So the, come, come check out Instagram, Dominic Q. Yeah. The women are probably just like sending all the, your content to their husbands. Like, like, yo, crazy. yo, yo, check like it out. Crazy. Check it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Dominic, uh, I really appreciate you. I appreciate our friendship together. And, uh, and I really do feel that the work that you're doing is transformative. Um, so keep on fighting the good fight. Uh, we're going to get you on Twitter uh, soon. And yeah, you were, uh, you're built for uh, YouTube as well. So we'll talk about all that kind of stuff. And yeah, man. I uh, appreciate you coming on this podcast and we'll uh, looking forward to doing number two with you. Same here, Dan. This is awesome. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit subscribe on whichever platform you're tuning in from. Help Dan and the rest of the team get the word out to more entrepreneurs like yourself and leave an honest review for the show. It would mean the world to us if you can help in those two ways. Dan reviews all the feedback on the show, so we can't wait to hear what you've got for us. This show is made for your benefit, so be sure to reach out if you have any ideas on topics that we can cover on the show or people we should interview. You're listening to the High Performance Founder Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time. Get back.